His take-a-knee protests rocked the NFL, and now Colin Kaepernick's causing controversy with his new Netflix series in which he compares the way the NFL scouts for players to the slave trade. Here's Les Trent. Colin Kaepernick is at the center of a new controversy over this scene from his new Netflix series, Colin in Black and White. Actors playing prospective NFL players who dramatically turn into slaves headed to the auction block. Yep, the former NFL player compares the league's draft process to the slave auction block. The NFL scouting combine happens every February. Prospects for the NFL draft attend a week of skill and endurance tests. At one stage, all players are weighed and measured wearing only shorts. Before they put you on the field, teams poke, pride, and examine you, searching for any defect that might affect your performance. No boundary respected. No dignity left intact. Look at this here. Come on, who wants this? The scene cuts back and forth between slave owners and coaches. On Fox News, a former NFL player slammed Kaepernick. A process of someone living their dream, going to the National Football League, comparing that to slavery, uh, it's, it's gone over overboard. The film's co-creator, Ava DuVernay, appeared on CBS Mornings. Co-anchor Nate Burleson, a former NFL player, weighed in. I remember going to pro days in the combine, sitting there with my shirt off and shorts mm -hmm. and them you know seeing how big my hands were and mm -hmm. how happy I was once I got on the scale mm -hmm. the difference is slavery was free labor mm -hmm. now these young men and women who come from circumstances that might be harsh have a chance to reset financially we in here yeah we in here we been here we in here yeah we in here we been here That's it. Well, good afternoon. Happy Monday and welcome to another edition of Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen. And before we get started this week, we're going to be talking about uh, Colin in black and white and whether we believe that the NFL is another form of slavery. So before we get started, um, and I know we have a, a story to get to before we get to our discussion, I want you to know who's in the building. So Miss Jada, go ahead and take it away. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey guys, my name is Jada. I am a homeschool junior in the Sacramento area, and I'm so glad to be back. Welcome back, Mr. Hunley. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Samuel. I live in Georgia, and I am in fifth grade. I'm 11, and I'm homeschooled. All right, there it is. <laughs> Miss Adia. Hey everyone, my name is Adia, and I'm a junior in the Sacramento area. Perfect. And Miss Melissa. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa, and I'm a 15-year-old sophomore in the Southern California area. Perfect. And I see that you have another name right next to yours, and we will get to him when he gets here. Uh, but I wanted to start off with this uh, because we we, we got to talk about this one. Y'all check this one out. Right now. 
stay safe and don't forget to stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> so listen, it's not funny. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because um, the late the teacher had the patience of Job. <laughs> I mean, she just kind of took it. And I've seen black students hemmed up for worse. So, or in a worse way for doing less, I should say. Um, I've seen people make excuses for her bad behavior. Automatically, I saw people on Twitter talking about she must have learning disabilities. Oh, well, she must have uh, this wrong or that wrong. What say you? Go ahead, uh, Adia, I'm gonna start with you. Well, sorry. <clears throat> When it first came to mind, when I first saw the video, I was just like, white people's audacity. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it for a second there. But it was just, um, I think I just, I get, like, I feel you on that. Like, if a black kid, like, did that, like, I, like, I could see them being, like, pinned on the ground. Like, we saw that one story about that kid being pinned on the ground for, like, not wearing a mask or something. So I feel like black kids do so little and they get treated so differently and I'm also wondering like what was the punishment for this girl like what did the school do like did they do anything about it like wow Samuel what are you doing what what is this 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 little entitled white girl going up to a black teacher and being like don't touch me even though she touched her and did that on purpose. Be like, don't touch me. And then cursing at her, called her, uh, nah, you know what? I'm not going to say it. Call Please her all, it. All, all these names. Disrespecting yeah. her. It's, it's just like, what? Who taught you this? And why? Mm. It should have never been a thing where if you touch a white person, then you would. If you're black and you touch a white person, automatically you're 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 in the wrong, and you're probably gonna get mobbed, beat up, possibly killed. Because I don't I don't I don't know why, but they thought that they were they weren't good. They were so good. White people thought they were so good that they didn't get get to be touched by a cre a file key creature like us. Mm. What? Come on now, Melissa. You said you're not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's funny because she has all the privilege. She thinks she has all this pri the privilege in the world, and like like you guys were saying, like I want to know her her consequences. What happened? Like. This is being recorded, so I we know the school saw it. The school always sees the video. They choose to ignore it. So I want to know, did this school ignore it? You can clearly see this white girl going up to this teacher. What was the reason for you getting out of your seat? I want to know, first of all. Why would you go up to the teacher and then go and hit her? It's privilege. These white kids do so much. Like you said, Laureen, we get punished for doing the doing nothing essentially for literally being black for raising our hand in class i know i have gotten tr in trouble for raising my hand too many times in class because i'm being disruptive and being too loud but this white girl goes and assaults a grown lady an adult black woman and i want to know her consequences jada i want to know who raised her to me i don't know how old she is but for her to be or look an older age and she'll be acting like she's a child that's kind of mind blowing to me. And what made her think that that was okay was kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and you saw the way she called her mom and she thought her mom was gonna be on her side. It's, it's, a, it's a black lady and she's making me mad. So come get her mom. Why did you need to say black? You could have just said my teacher's making me mad but you had to signify the, you had to say she was black. You had to. Yeah. Why do you think she did that? I think personally she's, She's, what would you say? She's kind of gained that sense of racism, even at the age that she's at, where she has a personal, where it seems like she has a personal bias against black people, like she's racist towards black people. Um, maybe based on the way she 
sees the world or what she sees on social media or how whatever it is in her home to make her think that when I tell my mom that this is a black lady, she's going to immediately have my side, which means mm. that it's something in the household that she thought that that was okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to read you the statement that the school released this morning. It says, Castleberry ISD is aware and greatly disturbed by videos of an incident circulating on social media in which a student booms aggressive toward, it says booms, whatever, aggressive toward an African-American teacher, including attacking the teacher physically and making racially charged comments and threats. We first want to commend the teacher for the calm demeanor and utter professionalism she demonstrated throughout the entirety of the incident, even when the situation turned violent and offensive. We support this teacher and her response in the strongest terms. Um, so we all know that, you know, when there's things that happen with student discipline on campuses, they will always say that we can't tell you what we did, but just know that there was a consequence. Um, now, I've seen students, now, first of all, I, a, a bunch of ed codes come to mind. Um, because I've seen some of the discipline forms that have come from students merely putting their hand on a teacher's shoulder where the teacher felt threatened. Um, SROs were always called in. They were always manhandled. They were always thrown the book out of, they were put up for expulsion immediately. So for them to say, we're going, we forwarded this in, in the statement, I can't find it in its entirety, but the statement did say that they forwarded the issue to law enforcement. Um, I think that we need to, as community, push for more transparency when it comes to the punishments. Give me a range of punishments you're gonna go through or you're gonna consider. Because anything less than expulsion for this student, she's already demonstrated that she is a danger, not only to herself, but to the teacher. And I don't want to hear anybody giving her the benefit of the doubt. Because that's what happens when the students uh, lack melanin. Shout out to the melanin drip sweatshirt, Nikki Ray. Um, I'm, I'm just so tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the uh, benefit of the doubt given when students came in with bad intentions. She had no reason to approach that teacher. Not only did she slap her on the arm, she threw the phone at her. Now, let me ask y'all something. If your parents got a hold of this video and that was you, what would happen as black children? Give me an answer. Melissa, what would happen to you if your mom saw that video and it was you cutting up like that? I would not live to tell the story. Because we discipline our children. Yeah? yeah. Jada, what would happen if that was you in that video? My house would be Alcatraz. I would be, uh, my butt would be tore up. And I have enough sense to not walk at the house and do that in the first place. So I wouldn't even be on that video. First Come of on all. now. Samuel, what would happen if your mama saw you cutting up like that? Or your I'm, daddy? I'm, 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 I'm just petrified hearing, hearing the even, the, the, the thought of that ever happening. If I ever do that, no, no, I never want that. I never want that to happen. No, I never want to do that, and I and I never will because I know what what will happen next, and and I I don't I don't want to I don't I don't I don't want to go through that. No, no, it's just it's just. Idea. Talk to me. I think I'd cry even before the punishment, just being so scared. Like, but I would never do that. Like, I think. I have enough common sense not to do that, so. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's kind of like this thing that these districts have in them where they think that Black parents do not have a handle on their children, and they think that we send y'all out of the house like y'all don't have no sense. We would step in and punish y'all before they even got to a consequence, before they even said anything. If that was my child, if you see my, oh, my child is over here. Yep, yep, over there. Uh, if that was my child, my child probably wouldn't make it in the house because we'd be right back on our way to that school. And she would not only apologize, she would figure out whatever else she needed to do before she probably got suspended. It's unacceptable. And we have more standards for our children. We expect better of you all because we know you know better.
It's crazy. It's crazy. And not only that, and I don't have the story of this, but I know you guys saw uh, the verdict with uh, young Mr. What's his name? Uh, Ridden? Ridden? Yes, talk to me about that. How are y'all feeling? What's going on? How do you feel about that? Samuel then came off mute before I even finished my sentence. What's up, Sam? <laughs> I hear people say, he's defending himself. He's defending himself. It's self-defense. Okay, okay. What you gonna do? Okay, so somebody walks up to you. Oh, with the AR-15 in hand. What, what do you think? What do you think you would do? Somebody just walks up to you. You know that they oppose your beliefs and they despise you. What are, what are you gonna do if they walk up with the AR-15 in hand? This is a protest, a peaceful protest. Why are you? Why why are you saying self-defense when somebody's coming to a peaceful protest with the AR-15? And then kill two people and then still saying the self-defense. Hmm. Jada. Um, on social media, I've seen a lot of side-by-sides um, how this white kid can, one, get away with murder, but also, two, walk around with a, what'd you say, Sam? What was it? An AR-15? What? AR-15, military-grade weapon. They use that in wars and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Trayvon Martin, they show you side-by-side. Trayvon Martin getting killed for a bag of Skittles. And it's just... I wish I could say I'm not surprised. I wish I could say I'm not surprised, but I am. I mean, no, I wish I could say I am surprised, but I'm not because this is unfortunately not the first time someone who lacks melanin has gotten away with something as treacherous as this. I'm honestly not surprised. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Melissa, uh, who's that? Didi? Go ahead, Didi. Oh, sorry. I also, no feel like, I also feel like with this case, like the Second Amendment, only really mattered when you're white like it's like they're like well he's allowed to hold a gun well okay well like literally if you look at any other like police brutality case it'll be like he had a gun though so like you know what I mean it's like it feel like it's just like it's not like it's not like it's like different circumstances for different people and like I also feel like I wasn't surprised by the verdict like I was I was like he's probably gonna get off I already saw how the trial was going you know what I mean but it's still it's so like just mind blowing that this continues to happen time and time again. And there was like a video, like it was just like full proof, like he killed these people in cold blood, but it, like, it, it just doesn't matter. And I don't think we can depend on like the American judicial system that is already messed up to work in our favor at the end of the day. Melissa? I was very hurt. Um, and so I got the um, notification while I was in history class. And I have mentioned my white history teacher before who I dislike. Um, and he has been talking about the verdict, the trial for the past week or so during our classes, like he cares. And so then I get the verdict during class and I bring it up to him and he says to me, stay safe and continues on with the lesson. And so I'm like that, it messed up my entire day. So I was hurt by the verdict because like I, I like Jada said, I'm not surprised, but it's just like, it, it hurts because we had the um, Derek Chauvin trial and it worked in our favor, kind of, sort of. I still don't think it was enough time, but it's like, you see that and we talked about this. It feels like we're getting somewhere, you know, we're taking one step forward, but then we take three steps back. And it's like, it just, it hurts. So I wasn't surprised, but I was hurt and yeah yeah and and i think you know i'm a little uh conflicted i see pops is making his way in the building with the shirt on hey pops we'll get to you right real quick um i think that so i've read a couple of different things and one of these uh one of the gentlemen that i was watching or that i was reading the post yesterday he was talking about how if you look at the video which i have not looked at the videos he says it was clear self-defense and this was a brother that said this. And so I haven't watched the video, so I don't know what part of the videos he's talking about. But what I will say is when you come to some place you ain't from and you bring an AR-15, you are not coming because you like people. You are coming to exert dominance. You are coming to use force. You are playing cops and robbers and you actually kill two people. Now. I don't believe that people who kill people should get off scot-free unless it's clear self-defense. 
Now, if there's videos that shows that, then maybe it was, right? But if it, the video says something contrary to that, we can't just be giving people license to kill. That's unacceptable. Um, but we're gonna transition because we see Pops is in the building. Uh, the topic this week is we're reflecting on calling in black and white. And did everybody watch the episode? Did you guys have a chance to check out calling in black and white? Yes, no, no. I've been meaning to, but I watched the clip like to that everybody was talking about for this episode. Okay. I've so, heard, uh, uh -huh. uh, my mom has like watched it. I brought it up to her when it was first announced, uh -huh. but I haven't watched it yet. Okay. And so what I'm going to need y'all to do in future episodes, I need y'all to watch the content before we start talking about it. Cause it kind of, you know, takes away the meaningfulness of the discussion. Um, because I did have a chance to watch it. Um, I was a little confused. Uh, it was like kind of a documentary slash uh, show um, slash flashbacks. And so I wasn't really sure what it is, what it was that um, was trying to happen in the documentary series, whatever it is. Um, but I did see, um, and I understood what he was saying when it came to the clip of uh, these young men being, you know, transitioning from the football field and then the scene goes to slavery, right? And so we can't have this context or this this conversation in a vacuum. So we brought a former NFL player to you so we can have the discussion. And so, Mr. Eric, would you please introduce yourself and then we can get to it. Um, Melissa's dad, uh, my background is um, former NFL player, played in the NFL and CFL for seven years. So I have a little bit of knowledge and foresight on what he was speaking of, the experience of being an athlete and how it transitions. And there's some correlations to slavery. Completely get it. Okay. And we'll talk about that because I've also seen a couple of different, you know, if you type it in on YouTube, you have these other people, mostly Black coming up saying, oh, it's ludicrous to just to to compare this to slavery. You know, we were getting paid, blah, 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 blah. And since I know better because I have some friends who played in the NFL, um, I just want to have the conversation. I just want to have the conversation. So can you talk to us real briefly kind of like about the combine, which is what the scene was um, that they were showing a gentleman being measured and hands and arms and you know, they run and all that stuff. Can you talk to us about the combine experience? The combine is where you take the top athletes in college football or who they seem to be, seem to think they are the, are the top in college football and they put them on a stage and it's a stage for them to perform, to show how strong, fast, how smart they are or whatever the case may be. And they transition that to how great of an asset it would be um, to be drafted to a particular team. And they did the same thing in slavery. They marched him right off of the ship. They stood on the stage. They put their hands out. Look how big his hands are. You know, he's a strong buck, as they used to say. Um, mm -hmm. His line is going to be strong. Look at his lineage and so on and so forth. And there are some very direct, you know, um, lines to slavery and what they did and how they put us on the stage to to see what kind of money that they would make either for your crops or for your organization. Yeah. And so, you know, can we can we put it in a context? So when you say they bring in the top athletes, about how many athletes nationwide is that? So you look at um, there are probably maybe 30,000 plus athletes in college. Mm -hmm. um, maybe 300 get invited. Maybe 300 get invited. And of the 300, um, 200 and something get drafted. Okay. Uh, so you're talking about less than, it's a less than 1% chance of, you know, making it to the NFL and actually getting drafted. Then there's another percentage of those that get invited that haven't gone to the combine. But the process is still the same. How strong, fast, and how smart you are. Okay. Talking and about so, to, to fractions. Okay. And so... I think I, I'm, what I'm trying to do is put it into context, right? So you have these these athletes who have this dream of playing in the league. The average NFL career is how many years? Three, four years. Three yeah. or four years. Three or four years. 
So they, and, and the, the probability of getting to the NFL is, did you say 1%? Less than 1%. Less than 1%. So you have all these kids being groomed in all these athletic programs nationwide and only a fraction of them, about less than 1% get invited to the combine and about 250 of those get drafted. And then the average career is three years. About that, yeah. Okay. So what type of prospects do athletes have if they don't last the three years, what are they, you know, like, what what do they have to fall back on? Because football has been a big, big part of their life. So this is the interesting part, and it starts when they're really young. And so um, if you don't have a parent that is telling you to go to school, get an education, um, be an entrepreneur, all of these things, you have these helicopter parents who push their kids to be athletes, so that when they don't make it, it's, it's hard for them. And unfortunately, the system is designed to dumb these kids and athletes down. That's, that's you know, if you look at how the coaches talk to them, they talk down to them, you know, um, you look at how they don't groom them really to do anything else except for to play football. You know, yeah, and unfortunately, you know, they're in college, but a lot of them are just checking the boxes. A lot of them aren't staying to get degrees. A lot of them, you know, end up playing out their football career and they still don't have a degree. A lot of them have to come back. So the whole system is designed to teach them to play football. And that's about it. And it starts early on. You you do just enough to pass to be eligible to play football or basketball. You know, you insert sport in the box and there you have it. It's a farm system and the farm system is designed to, to make athletes. And so I was, I remember watching this, um, I don't know, I, I guess real sports with Bryant Gumbel. Mm-hmm. And I remember them talking about the students that go to these top football programs and how they were kind of siphoning them into majors like Swahili or some other I would, and I don't mean this as a diss, but some other unserious discipline so that they can focus their time and energy on football and just be passed through the system. And so as, as we're thinking of these things and, and we're talking about it, a lot of times, you know, there's this stereotype of the dumb jock, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of our kids are being kind of shepherded down this track where they're not pushed to be serious students they're pushed to come in and let these people exploit them which is to me in in my mind a form of slavery and then you look at all these coaches in in the higher you know as you you know go up the ladder most of the coaches are white men right and then as you continue to look at you know and I, I really hate this argument that says well we're getting paid so it's not like slavery What I need people to understand is that they're getting a fraction of what the people who own the teams and who are coaching the teams are getting. Can we talk about that? Let's take money out of it. Okay, let's take it. If you take money out of it, you look at outside of now we're they're just now allowing us to play quarterback Hmm. who is supposed to be a leader of the team. Right. But if you look at the coaches, the GMs, the owners, There are no black people in that. You have a few black head coaches, you know, so you're looking at dominance and you're looking at who oversees the athletes and you have a few black players who they allow to step to the front to be the the voice of the overseer uh, to keep everybody else in line. Right. And so when we're taking money out of it, because that's what, honestly, the reason I'm bringing it up is because that is what is supposedly enticing these students to want to be athletes. They see the glitz and the glamour. Um, They see the things that come along with being this athlete or this person, uh, this popular person, right? And it does something to their psyche when they're in these top programs and they're looked out looked at as like a important popular celebrity, something like that. Um, And Sam, I see your hand up and I'll come right to you. Um, 
And so what, what I'm wondering is if you can talk about, because you said you played in, in the NFL, CFL for seven years. Did that change the way that you responded to people um, as someone who played? Like, did people respond to you differently as, as an athlete who played in these, these things? I think so. You know, usually um, when I, I've shared that I, I played, I was an athlete or whatever the case may be, um, usually their tone changes, you know, when they see that you can, and I hate to say this, they see that you can speak intelligent and you can form a few sentences and they see you're not a dumb, a dumb jock, the tone and the conversation changes. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are, unfortunately, there are a lot of athletes who, you know, don't show as well, you know, but you know, that just goes to show that, you know, they've been brought up through the system and, you know, they, they have nothing to fall back on. Now, granted, Things have changed over the years, you know, the, you know, um, kids staying, being able to stay eligible and them having, you know, like um, our nephew Shaq, who graduated college and whatnot, things have changed. And if you take education seriously, you can get everything out of it that you're supposed to get out of it. But if you don't have your circle or your tribe to make sure that you're getting through, they will just pass you through and you won't get anything out of it. Mm. And, and that's when, you know, people respond to you differently. And now they see that they can use you to get what they want. Wow. Samuel, you had a question or a comment? So, um, Mr. Eric, so how was your experience in the CFL and the NFL as a athlete? Well, it, it was great. You know, I think that I got everything out of it that I could. You know, I think it's a it's a once in a lifetime experience, you know, and I think that, you know, I've used everything that I've, you know, been able to experience to, you know, to better my life the best way I could. OK, I have a question. So you say that um, it is like slavery, like how this entire conversation, but while you were playing and being drafted and going through that, did you recognize that or was it, or did you not realize it until afterwards and looking back on it? it? It was something that was brought to my attention that we looked at much later on in life. And now I have a friend of mine, his name is um, Anthony Pryor. And he wrote a book that's called The Slave Side of Sunday. And it talks about everything that everybody does not see um, behind the scenes that, you know, now looking at it, you can see how um, you know, like the coaches, they don't want you to address them or talk to them in a certain way. And you have a position, right? And you have to be subservient to that position. You aren't supposed to challenge what the coaches say. You aren't supposed to challenge anything that the GM says. You have a place and they want you to stay in it. And white, player, white players, and it's something that I did see when I was playing, white players are treated differently. You know, there's a different level of respect that's granted to them that black players don't get you know if you look at the um the aaron Rodgers, the ben roethlisbergers the um what's the guy from um new england that went to over if you look at all of the you know those players they're they're given a little bit more slack than black players are given um, mm -hmm. the, um domestic violence issues mm -hmm. or anything else we're always treated with a uh with a sharp rod and, you know, they're giving, they're, they're cutting a lot of slack. Mm. And that's something that I've always recognized. They don't, you know, they don't get the same punishment that we get. You know, we step out of line, we're out of the league, we're fine. We were unable to continue our careers. And, you know, with them on the other hand, they may get fined and, you know, maybe suspended and they're continue, they get to continue their careers. Mm. Go ahead, Didi. Oh, I had a question kind of jumping off that. Like, I know you kind of talked about difference of punishments, but did when you were in the NFL, did you ever feel belittled, like, or have an experience, I guess, where you felt belittled? Or, like, what was your experience going through that? Um, I forget what it's called, but it's, like, you know, we were talking about it in the beginning where they, like, you stand up on a stage. The and like, Yeah, like, a combine. Like, did you ever, like, how did that make you feel when you were in the NFL? Well, um, I grew up and I played in a different era in which it is today. I, I played 20 years ago. And so 
Um, I still played in the era where the coaches would get in your face and talk to you crazy and they would grab your face mask. And now you can't put your hands on people. <laughs> mm. you know, so it was a little different. And so I experienced a coach getting in my face and, you know, us having a yelling match or whatnot. So I've been in a position to where I've had to stand up for myself because I felt like, you know, the coach may have been talking down to me or getting sideways at me. And so I said something and, and even knowing that if I stepped too far over the line, it could have meant my career because now I'm speaking up for myself. And that's something that you're just not supposed to do. You know, and if you look at Colin Kaepernick and the sacrifice that he made, he didn't do anything wrong. All he did was stand up for black people. And, and so because he stepped over the line, um, look, look where he is today. And, you know, they, they have these guidelines that you aren't supposed to cross over. And the minute you step outside of it, they make you pay for it. Mm. Sam has his hand up again. What's up, Sam? So um, this was a comment about, like, the Aaron Rodgers. Let's, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Well, he broke uh, NFL guidelines with – He did. Lo- uh, with not getting not getting the vaccine, which is fine, but not wearing a mask during press conferences, not wearing a mask on sidelines, and then lying about it, or using using like selective words to make it mm-hmm. look like he sounded like he was vaccinated, mm-hmm. but he really wasn't. And mm-hmm. then and then he goes out on a full on just just. Oh, the the NFL rules are so are so bogus. They're so they're so stupid. Like Barclay is in there. I'm 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 like Martin Luther King with my freedom. He actually said that. He he quoted Martin Luther King. He's crazy. I I don't know. And then he he just gets fined. He no 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 consequences. Doesn't even get suspended. He just gets fined. And then now he's playing again. Like he can just go out and slander the whole the whole league and not get any consequences. That's a that's a very good observation. So you look at what Aaron Rodgers did, and you look at what Kyrie Irving did. He didn't want to get vaccinated either. And look how he look how they have shunned him, and they don't want him around. And that's why they're always said there are two separate rules for us and them. You know, when you're black and you step outside of their rules, they make you pay for it. That's how it's always been. Nothing, nothing's changed. It's just now getting exposed. Wow. Yeah, and and I I think that another uh, misconception that folks have um, is the money associated with um, the league. Now, I know based on some of my friends that. There is no real guaranteed money in the NFL unless you have a certain type of contract. Can you talk to us about that? So all NFL contracts, none of them are guaranteed unless you get a signing bonus. That's the only thing that's guaranteed to you. A signing bonus is what you sign when you sign the contract. They say, hey, we're going to give you X amount of dollars. Um, You're paid one sixteenth or now it's one seventeenth of your salary. So if you take a million dollars and you divide it by 17, that's what your paycheck is, okay? That's what you're paid every Monday after the game. If you go halfway through the season, you can sign a five-year contract. If you go halfway through the season and you play 10 games and they cut you, you no longer get any of that money. And that's that's the misconception. People think because you sign a million-dollar contract or you sign for five years, that you're guaranteed that money for five years and you aren't. So at any mm. point in time that they choose to let you go and it's in the contract, you've received your last check. So is it um, at will employment? It's so- an at- NFL is an at will employment. Absolutely. At any point in time, they can let you go. And at any point in time, they can ship you to another team with or without saying anything to you is that correct that's correct so how how does one in the league um i don't i don't know the right way to put this but gain some stability if everything in this game is unstable you don't and it's designed that way 
<laughs> it is designed for, um, how can I say this? It's designed, and I, I hate to make this a black and white issue, but that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, unless you're a white NFL quarterback, right? Unless mm-hmm. you're a white NFL quarterback whom they've now invested in you, that is the only way your money is guaranteed. Um, if you look at uh, Cam Newton, you know, they just recently cut him a few weeks ago when they brought in the white, you know, the white quarterback. They said, we're letting you go. And he didn't have a guaranteed contract. You know, so you're now, as soon as, you know, they don't feel like you're an asset to them, you're expendable and they let you go. But so there is no way, you know, to gain any stability. The only way that's going to happen is when they change ownership and you start mm-hmm. letting, you know, black owners in, you start letting black GMs in and black presidents in until that happens, you're not going to see it. There are no black owners <laughs> in the NFL. So is that another, um, another parallel to the slave trade or slavery? There Absolutely. was no stability and they would bust up families. I'm assuming teams become like families, right? And mm-hmm. so they would bust up families at their whim to see where, if they can get the highest amount or whatever negotiation they they enter into, um, that's just is what it is, right? You're an asset, yeah. And if they trade you, you know, just like in slave trade, <laughs> if they decide to trade you to another team for more assets in cash, they have the right to do so. And so now, you know, you have to, you know, take your wife, kids, and you have to move them to another place. You know, you have to uproot your kids out of school. It's not like going down the street or in the next city over and getting another job. You now have to uproot your family. And and so, yes, in the indirect correlation, it is busting up your family. Hmm. And, uh, and and I think that's that's where I have like the hardest uh, time with athletics. Period. Um, the fact that I don't know if our our kids understand that there's not any guaranteed money in this industry. Um, that they are putting basically their health and well being on the line every time they step out onto the football field that it could affect them as they, you know, get older in life, like we're seeing with the CTE. Um, and we're seeing people having problems with their ankles and their knees, getting early onset arthritis, um, being out there. Um, and so I, I guess my question to you as someone who used to play, as a, a man, right? And we know that men kind of have to have stability and they pride themselves on providing stability for their families um what made you get out of the nfl i broke my neck (laughs) like literally broke your neck yes i had surgery yeah surgery went through my neck right here (laughs) i said it wasn't a choice it was kind of you had to Y'all are laughing and I'm over here shocked. Like, we never had this conversation. How did you break your neck? In a you... game, I was I, I was temporarily paralyzed um, from the neck down, and I slowly started to regain um, my feeling on my extremities. But I like even now I get the hypersensitivity in my thumb and stuff like that. Um, but um, it was in a game at I was 28. 29 years old. Wow. Yep. Wow. Was it worth it? (laughs) If I could do it all over again? (laughs) Well, that's a tough one, you know, because I, I, I feel like I learned um, a lot of um, good lessons from it. And I've met a lot of good people. Um, If I could do it all over again, that's, that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's um, I don't want to feel like I'm feeling now because I still have back issues and stuff like that. I don't want to feel like I, I feel today. If I could pre- have preserved my body somehow and gain the experience, I would I would do it, but that's no guarantee. Mm, jumping off. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, you're fine, honey. <laughs> um, Jumping off that question, like, do you feel like once you got in the NFL and like the experience, do you feel like you guess it lived up to the hype? Like lived up to the hype? Well, I didn't make millions of dollars, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's the purpose. 
it, so anybody that's playing this sport, right? They paint this, they paint this picture that if you go, you're going to make millions of dollars. You can buy your mama a house. You can buy all the cars and the businesses and stuff like that. That is still such a small fraction. Um, it's 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 like less than you know. You have less of a chance of winning a you know more of a chance of winning the lottery. It, it's it's really you know um, a roll of the dice. Every none of it's guaranteed. But that's the picture they paint, which is why all these kids say, "I want to you know play basketball." And you know they paint these big dreams, and you know they use you and they use your you know, your, your drive to, you know, make these universities money and to make the NFL teams, you know, money with the Jersey sales and all of this stuff, you know, but it's, uh, it's not something that's guaranteed to anybody. And I know kids like when we're having conversations and I'm like, Oh yeah, my dad, he used to play in the NFL. They're like, Oh, so you guys have like a whole bunch of money and you like live in a mansion. (laughs) Right. I'm like, well, I mean, we're not like, living on the street but we're not in no mansion it's like it's not guaranteed so it's like you know it's it's everyone thinks that you know it's all of these kids who are planning to go and be athletes and it's like well are you gonna get an education too like if that doesn't work out if you get hurt if you don't make it like you think you're gonna make it do you have something to fall back on? And it's like a lot of kids don't. I've had friends who have said that to me. They're like, well, no, because I'm going to do this. I'm like, okay, but if you don't, you know, that's how, that's how we're being, that's how we're being taught by not just the media, but by some parents too. Like he said, helicopter parents who are like pushing you to be an athlete. But if that doesn't work out, then what are you going to do? Here's what they don't tell you. So um, let's, the NFL average is what? Like, let's say it's $400,000, right? And so let's say you sign a two-year contract for $400,000, okay? Um, After taxes, you're going to get, they're going to tax you like 40% or something crazy because now you're in a whole different tax bracket, right? So do the math, Melissa. Yeah. So let's say you're making $400,000 a year, you know, um, so take Mm $400,000 and you want to subtract um, let's say 30%. Okay. okay. Let's say you, they, they, 400,000, zero, zero, zero. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's 400. Oh, oops, and then sorry. you want to subtract 30%. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Minus 30%. Minus 30%. So you're now making $280,000, right? It sounds like a lot of money, right? But in order to have any, um, long-term wealth, you need to not spend any of that money really for like the next two or three years. The money is supposed to work for you. You're not supposed to really go, but the first thing most people do is they go buy a house, they go buy cars, they go buy clothes. And before you know it, you've eaten into that money. You may have $60,000 left after you've done that. And then when the next year comes, you repeat the cycle. Now, remember, the money's not guaranteed. So now if you've done that in your first year and they decide they it does, it's not working out and they want to cut you, you now have no more money. Now you have the same kind of money the rest of us folk have. <laughs> right? Now looking for a job. So mm. they don't tell you that it takes a good five years of saving your money before you spend anything, buy anything, or or making any of those the big purchases they don't share yeah so when they're talking about i wonder how this person blew through this amount of money it's easy to do that if they're sending it up front and there's nothing to backfill it right that's what you're not having these well they do now they have a financial class when you go um when you go to the camps and stuff like that but if you don't have good people around you you will blow through it you know the Mm -hmm. much money is much you know is much better now than what it used to be, but it's easy to blow through that kind of money, especially if you come from nothing. You, you, come on you, now, yeah. I'm listening. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Your, <laughs> go through your whole college career, right? And you know, people think that you're getting a free education. You're not. Mm, you know. Let's talk about that too, because that's really more like slavery. But go ahead. Well, well yeah, the education's not free, and the, you know, so everybody's up in arms. You got to when you say up in arms, you got to do this. So everybody's up in arms about paying these college athletes, right? Right. And 
yeah, they're paying for their room and board, but they can't go buy any food because when the cafeteria closes, it closes. You, you can't go get any food, right? So now you have no money to go buy you a pizza or a hamburger or whatever the case may be. You can't go buy any deodorant. You can't go buy any soap. You can't go buy any of those things that a normal person would need. And, you know, you can't go get a job because mm-hmm. that's the NCAA rule. So, no, it's not free. You're not and getting- nobody can buy it for you. Nobody can buy it for you because now it's a violation. And so they place all of these restraints on these student athletes and you're making the school millions of dollars and you can't see a dime of it. Until until the Senate bill that just passed that says now they can profit from their likeness and their jersey sales. So shout out to uh, but so But so the problem with that is their name and likeness, they were referring to the video games, the NCAA video games, right? Mm-hmm. And so they should see it. They they should see a check from that, right? Right. The sales of the video game, but not every student athlete on the team is going to sell a jersey. Facts. Because if you're just you know the the regular guy and you're getting time, they're not selling your jersey. They're selling the quarterback's jersey. That's one or two guys on the team. Right. You're not going to see any money. So they need to change that. They need to make sure that they, they're they're giving these guys a, a few hundred dollars a month to live off of. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, an interesting amendment that should be added to the next go around. Um, I can't remember. And I, I'm looking at her face, the senator that ran that bill. Um, and I can't remember who it is, but I think that you and I should talk so that we can send her some some ideas on how to make that bill better. Sam, yeah. you keep having your hand up. Do you have something you want to add to the conversation, love? So, uh, I was going to say how the NCAA like takes advantage of their co- of their college athletes. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Take your time. So, like. For, for for example, in ba- in basketball, in in uh in college hoops, you 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 get a free you get an opportunity to go to the NBA. Yay! No, no, not that good because still gotta still gotta have resources, and you don't have any money because you can't get any of that because you can't get a job until. Recently, you couldn't get any sponsorships or deals or endorsements. You couldn't sign your. You couldn't get get uh like you couldn't sign deals with Nike. None of that. You you can do any of that until you were in the NBA, which most college athletes don't even make it to the NBA. So basically, it's like you don't you you don't get to sell as much as you can. So that you're prepared if you don't make it to the NBA while you're in college. They don't allow you to do that. They'll say, oh, you you can, you, you'll play college if you make it to the NBA. Big money, big money. But if you if you don't, well, eh, too bad. I don't know what you're going to well, do with your life. Well, Sam, here's how a lot of kids get in trouble. So what happens is when they're in college – and they are a project a projected draft pick. You get these agents who come around and say, hey, you're going to get drafted. I'm going to give you $100,000. There's no free money. And you know this is before they even get drafted. And so now they're giving the money based upon a projection, right? You, you now owe all of this money. You're in debt before you even get a check. Yeah. <laughs> and... Didn't that happen to Shaq? He had an agent. Shaq had an agent who was trying to give him some money before he selected an agent, and he was like, "Oh, I'll you know I'll give you fifty thousand dollars." This is before the draft even happened, and he was asking me what did I think he should do, and I was like, "Well, I don't think you should take the money because right. now you are now going to owe it, you know." But that's how you know that's the picture that they paint. That's the trap, you know. Yeah. Nothing, nothing's free, but you know that that's just how the cycle goes. So let me ask you this. What advice would you give to youngsters, you know, seniors about to go into college right now and those college seniors about to graduate? 
who have um, the hope of making it to the NFL or whatever other professional league, what type of advice would you offer to them? Hmm. <laughs> well, this is the advice that I gave my son. And so I told him, because he is now at the point where he's getting ready to possibly go to the NFL or CFL. And so when he was coming out of high school, going into college, I told him to get everything out of college before they get everything out of you. Mm. So you have to use the system just like they're using you. And so every opportunity you have to take an extra class, to graduate early, um, to do anything that you can to maximize um, your college experience, you need to do it. You cannot get, you cannot rely on making it to the next level. That's not saying you can't have a dream or a plan, but as far as the education goes and they're paying for it, you need to get everything you can out of it. Everything. That means that means you have to sacrifice not coming home in the summertime and staying and going to school and taking extra units and all of that stuff so you can graduate. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask uh, my co-host on here. Give me one takeaway that you learned today from this conversation with Mr. Eric. Give me one thing you learned, Samuel. I learned that in in pro sports, I, I kind of got a grasp of it, but not to this extent and the actual experience of a, of a pro sports player. Mm-hmm. Nothing is guaranteed in sports. Nothing is going to be guaranteed to you. Nothing. You're not, you don't know. In sports, there's a lot of uncertainty. And you don't know what's going to happen. You may get in the NBA. You may not. The MLB, you may not. You may be going up the ranks in the MLB. Oh, no, you're, you're still in the minors. They won't. They're, they're not sending mm-hmm. you the, the, the NFL. You you're in college football. You're a star, but you don't get drafted. You're you're an undrafted yeah. free agent, and then you don't get signed. And then, what are you gonna do then? Like, yeah, a lot of yeah. uncertainty in pro sports, and that's what I learned. Yeah, and and I want to be clear because I'm talking specifically about the NFL not being guaranteed money. I am not speaking on the NBA or any of those because I believe that they they have a little bit more. Um, guarantees in those systems, Um, but I'm specifically speaking of the NFL, so we don't want to generalize professional sports as a whole, but we're talking specifically today about the NFL. Jada, I saw you come off mute. What did you want to say? Always have a backup plan. Following up with what Sam said about, you know, nothing is guaranteed. Always have a backup plan because as quick as your foundation was built, that rug can easily be yanked up under you, and they don't care about you, so you'll just be left there like, uh, and they don't care. So always make sure that you have a backup plan. Adia. Um, one takeaway, use the system as much as they use you. Mm. Like, I, I don't know, every time I go somewhere and I know it's like one of those systems, I'm always trying to use it the best way I can and get it out of all this money. And then second, um, oh, just about that NCAA bill. Like, I feel like I, when I heard about it too, like I was like, oh, this is such a big win, but it's also... It's like not it's not like they're getting, you know, rich, like getting a bunch of money. It's really not like, you know, as big as like I might have thought previously. The problem well, is oh, go ahead, Pop. Go ahead. The, the problem is with the NCAA rule, they give you enough just to keep you quiet, but not enough mm. to, to overcome the whole problem in the system. Gotcha. Melissa. What's, what's your takeaway? I mean, you got pop to yourself after we get off the air. But what what was something that sticks out to you about the conversation today? That us as Black students, we have to, like Jada said, we have to have a black a backup plan because nothing is guaranteed. We have We need to be able to support ourselves at the end of the day because we are the only people that are going to care about us. They want to, white people, these white coaches, they want to use us for their entertainment and at the end of the day, we will be left with nothing. So we need to have our backup plans. We can have dreams and goals and plans, but we need to be able to support ourselves at the end of the day. If it does not work out, what are you going to do? Education, living, anything. You have to have a backup plan, especially as a Black person. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I, I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't just add audiences into that, too. 
we are being used for our entertainment value, our skill, our prowess, all those things. And so it's incumbent upon us to actually learn about these systems before we enter into them. Um, I think that it's it's under we need to understand that there is no stability. Um, and so once you know better, you do better. And once you know how the system works, you can adequately exploit it. So, but we've run out of time for today. We want to thank Mr. Eric for coming and, and joining us today and having the conversation with us. As always, you can follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, subscribe. You can uh, review this live on YouTube and Facebook. Um, please feel free to go by our student store and grab you one of our shirts, the Black versus the Board of Education shirts available to you right now. And without further ado, let's go ahead and hit them with the wave. We'll be back next Monday. What do you What do you point at, Sammy? Oh, Sam wants to do the wave. The wave. <laughs> Just Sam wave your hands, Sammy. Sam wants to uh, hit us with the wave. He's he's like, okay, we'll see you next Monday right here on uh, Facebook and YouTube. We are Black versus the Board of Education. <laughs>